Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 14, uh, verse 1 through 11. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, what a privilege it is for me to be able to be here. Uh, it's the first time I've been behind this pulpit since we've been out in the parking lot. And can I just say, I love seeing your faces uh, every Sunday. It is a joy uh, as you walk along. And you should know, I recognize like 85% of you, which I think is pretty good. Some of you who got those ones up to your eyes and your sunglasses, I don't know, I don't trust you. You're doing something sneaky. No. But it is great to see everybody. Um, from now on, if you want to, you can start calling me Mariano Rivera, the greatest closer in baseball of all time. This is now the fourth consecutive series that Dan has left the final one up to me. So he brought in the closer. Just totally joking. He'll get a kick out of that when he watches it, uh, although he doesn't like baseball. So in his words, I guess I'm the Chevy to his Ford. Um, something like that maybe he gets. Thank you. Think he might get that. Uh, but let's pray. We'll get into our text. Our text today is going to be Psalm 23, the very last verse, which is 6. So have your Bibles ready, but let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to come and submit ourselves to the authority of your word and ultimately to your authority. I thank you so much that your word testifies to us, God, that you long to be with your people. And Father, in this series, season of life when so many of us are longing for the presence of company, for the presence of people who we haven't seen, and for the affection of maybe a warm embrace, God, help us to remember that all of that is only a shadow of the presence that we really want, and that is to be with you. That is to dwell in your presence. That is to find at your right hand pleasures forevermore, and that is to find in your presence is the fullness of joy. I pray that as we go to the word, Father, you would... Guide us to see that that is true. Your presence is worth pursuing. And moreover, God, it's you that pursue us. What a glorious truth that is. Help us to rest in it today, and may it motivate us towards loving our neighbor, loving well in this season of life. We pray it to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I've got three kids. And as uh, anybody who has three kids is well accustomed, there comes a season of life when one, if not all of them, want to go into your bed. Now, I don't know if you've got little ones here, some of you right now who have really little ones, you're like, nope, never gonna happen. I'm too disciplined for that. 
No, I guarantee you, as soon as they turn three, that baby's going to be in your bed, and your back is going to hurt, and you're going to love it. It's going to be a great thing. Well, we're in this phase right now with Ruby, and you can look back there. She's already on mom's lap. She won't even sit in her own seat anymore, uh, but that's where we're at in life right now. So if it's bedtime, her bed is no longer okay. Now, for the longest time, Rochelle and I were like super proud. We could just go in, turn off the light, kiss her cheek, pray for her, and be like, good night, little Ruby, and she'd be like, and literally she would put her hands up to her cheek and just fall asleep, and we were like, wow. We're so good at this parenting thing. We just knocked this out of the park. And now, if we try to put her in her bed, she comes out and she's like, it's dark in there. And, and then sometimes she'll say, no one's laying with me. And then, of course, we're like, well, you can go into our bed. That's what we've become. We've become the parents. Yes, you can fall asleep in our bed. Now, here's what's really interesting and really funny. She goes to bed earlier than us. So... Even though I'm not yet in the bed, and even though Rochelle is not yet in the bed, Ruby is just as fine falling asleep in that bed than as if I was there. Right? Isn't that funny? I mean, the, the other thing is if she's in another room, she's already asleep. So we don't let her sleep there through the night. You know, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I don't want to get beat up. But I'll pick her up every night, move her to a room. But somewhere around 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, she finds her way in. I don't know how she does it in the dark, but she finds her way in. She crawls to mom's side, crawls over mom, and nuzzles her way in between. And then for like four and a half hours, we trade who gets a fist in the face and who gets a foot in the face. That's our existence right now. And it's really awesome, and we love it. But one of the interesting things is, and this, it occurs to me, and it's kind of funny, is how is she able to put herself to sleep in my bed but not her own? See, I'm not there, and Rochelle's not there. It's just a different place. Well, in our bed, the, the representation is that we're going to be there soon, that our presence is going to be there before long. And she knows somehow, some way, if she waits long enough, her parents are going to come in. And isn't that what she really wants? Isn't that what you and I wanted when we did that very same thing with our parents? We went in because we wanted to be near them. We wanted to be in their presence. And I want to submit to you today that when we look at Psalm 23 in that way, I think it helps us to understand David's overall argument in the psalm and then really puts into context this verse 6. And, and the way I can best describe it is that Psalm 23 is about the presence of God. And we can, in our lives, understand it best as no matter the circumstance of life, no matter what we're going through, no matter how scared or frustrated or worried we are, we can nuzzle in to Psalm 23 like it's the bed of a parent because we know that it echoes for us the presence of a very real and tangible God who actively works on our part in our lives. Okay, so let's read the text. I'm going to read the whole psalm even though we're just focusing on verse 6. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I argue that this psalm is primarily celebrating the presence of God in the life of David. And really, isn't that the echo of all of scriptures? If we think about the created world, God dwelling with his creation. When we think about the Exodus, God's presence in cloud and pillar of fire. When we get to the temple and tabernacle, God's presence housed within a physical structure. When we get to the incarnation, we have God in human flesh dwelling amongst us. When Jesus ascends into heaven, we have the Holy Spirit who comes and indwells the church. God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, God's presence. And at the return of Jesus, when the slate is wiped clear, what will be left is God and his people dwelling together in a renewed creation. So if you were to sort of sum up this thread that runs all throughout the scriptures, presence is what I would submit to you to be the, the primary, uh, uh, the thought pattern all throughout the scriptures. And this psalm echoes that. And here's why I say that. Let's just examine really quickly what Dan has covered so far. And let's look at what the actions are and where the actions come from. Verse two says, he makes me lie down. Verse two also says, he leads me beside still waters. Verse three says, he restores my soul. Verse three also says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Verse four says, you are with me. Not will be, might be, could be, will be in the future, have been in the past, are. Verse four also says, he comforts me with his rod and staff. Verse five, he prepares a table for me. Verse five, he anoints my head with oil. Verse five, he overflows my cup. Now, what do all of these things have in common? Every single one of the actions of God towards us requires him to be present in our lives. It's best understood this way. Verse one through four can be understood as God, the tender shepherd who takes us through the seasons of life. He leads us, he guides us. And verse five and six are God as a gracious host. He's anointing our head with oil. He's preparing a place. These things are only done with a God who is actively present in the life of David. Okay, so what he's been doing this whole psalm is celebrating that no matter where he is and no matter what he's going through, God has been with him. And because God has been with him, it helps him to define everything that's been going on in his life thus far. Okay, now verse six, this is where, in my opinion, he says something that's like astounding. And he starts off verse six by saying, surely. Okay, now this, this word surely is a little bit different than maybe you and I use it or maybe we've brought it into our language. When we say surely, sometimes we almost uh, have a question behind it. Like, oh no, surely you wouldn't do that. Or, or surely um, I'll be able to get the money I need for college. Or there's almost a questioning behind it. There's almost a sense of like, I hope that it happens. When, when David is saying the word surely here, he does not mean surely in that sense. It's not a wishful thinking. It's not a hopefulness. This is a statement declaring he is confident in what's 
the words that are about to follow. In certain translations, the word used there is only. Not surely, but only goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Can you imagine saying that? Can you imagine having the confidence in who God is and the confidence of where you are in life right now to say, only goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life? Well, how did David say that? How is it possible that David could say something like that? If we think back to his life, and we don't need to be a Bible scholar to know and understand some of the things that David did and some of the things that he struggled with, we know that there were some huge valleys in his life, some at the hands of other people and some through his own unfaithfulness and sin. And he writes this psalm saying that through it all, through the darkness of the valley, through the paths of righteousness, in the green times, in the still water times, in the fearful times, in the dark times, God has been with me. And and here's the really interesting part. That means he interprets everything that has happened to him in his life as goodness and mercy. Everything that has already happened to David He says, these things were goodness and mercy. Why? Because the presence of God never left me. The presence of God was with me in my own selfishness. And he was working in my life despite my best efforts sometimes to mess it up. Now, I don't know if that only applies to me here today, but does anybody else feel like that? Does anybody have a time in their life when they look at the own works of their hand and can say, man, I was messing it up, but what God did is he turned it on its head and worked it for my good? Don't we all have that? And do we not all have something that's happened to us at the hands of someone else that's caused us suffering or it's caused us grief and it's caused us worry and it's caused us all sorts of troubles? Can we not also look back on that and see if it led you to this point today in life where you're sitting in a chair and you can say resolutely that I know Jesus better yet, he knows me, that he chose me, that he predestined me, that he lavished grace upon me. Was it not all worth it if it led to this point? So what David is saying is he's like, listen, I'm writing this psalm that's celebrating the presence of God through everything. Imagine David on a mountaintop looking over the landscape of his life. That's what Psalm 23 is. And so when he looks forward in verse 6 to what is going to happen, he defines his future by what has happened in his past. Namely, the presence of God has been his consistent companion throughout. Now, hear what I'm saying. Does that mean that David always had this raptured experience of God's presence throughout his life? No. Just read a couple more of the Psalms where he's like, you're far from me. I'm dried up inside. Where are you at? My enemies are about to get me. No, it does not discount the strong emotional toll that David felt all throughout his life. I mean, he lost a child. He had an affair. His son tried to take his throne. Two different people tried to take his life for extended periods of time. Are you kidding me? Can that guy say, surely goodness and mercy? Now listen, this is what I want us to be able to say to one another and what I want us to be, say, what I want us to be able to say confidently about who God is for us that surely goodness and mercy are going to follow us all the days of our life. Here's what I want to say, though. 
how many of us are orienting our lives around the promise of the presence of God in every circumstance, how many of us are doing that or how many of us are defining ourselves by the things that we've done in the past or the things that have happened to us in the past. David says, they led me to a place where God was with me. No matter what it was, God was with me through all of it. Because he was with me through all of it, it is goodness and mercy. So do we believe that goodness and mercy actually follow us? If we're being honest with ourselves and if we were to take inventory of our lives, my assumption here is that many of us, when we look backwards, we don't see goodness and mercy following us, do we? We see regret. We see pain. We see shame. We see pride. We see all of these things that honestly help us to not see the goodness and mercy of God because we're not lifting our eyes up just high enough. We're stuck in this existence of, 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 not, of seeing too narrow the landscape of what God is doing in our lives. And when that happens, what we need to do is nuzzle ourselves in to the bed of Psalm 23 that says, despite whatever it is that I'm feeling emotionally, despite whatever it is that I'm going through, despite whatever it is that's happened to me, I must remember that God promised to be with me to the end of the age. That's the word of Jesus. And surely I will be with you till the end of the age is what Jesus says. Surely I will be with you to the end of the age. And sometimes instead of allowing that surely to inform our whole life, we look backwards and say, but surely I'm not good enough. But surely I'm the kind of person that's going to foul it up. But surely I don't really know the gospel. But surely I don't know enough about the Bible to actually be saved. But surely, no, that is not the message. And do you know why it's not the message? And do you know why David could truly have confidence that the presence of God was with him in the, in previously and is going to be with him in the future? It hinges upon verse 3. If you go back in verse 3, this is what it says. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Whose name's sake? Not David's name's sake. God's name was at stake in the works of David's life. And God's presence was with David in all of them because it was not David's glory that was at stake ultimately. It was the glory of God that was on the line. And when it's the glory of God that's on the line, either in the life of David or in your life, guess who's going to come through 100% of the time? God is. So believer, listen here for a second. You can say declaratively, just like David did, that only goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of our lives because God, who predestined and chose you, lavished grace upon you while you were dead in sin and made you alive to Christ. It was a free gift. Because it's a free gift of God, guess what you have to do to go on earning it? Not a thing. He chose to give you his presence before you ever deserved it, which means his presence is going to stay with you. And why? Because you're worth it? Because you're so special? No, because the glory of his son Jesus is at stake. And when the glory of his son Jesus is at stake, guess who's never going to get let down? Jesus is never going to get let down. But it goes a little bit further. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Scriptures tell us that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit 
that he leads us into all righteousness. We have a present God with us in these moments right now. And I wonder, believer, is that something that causes you, like David, to have confidence in who God is for you? Or is it something that we look at from time to time and say, that's pretty cool. I like that. But we go more or less defining ourselves by what has, what will, and what is currently happening to us. You see, looking back over the landscape of his life, David is able to see that his circumstances only proved to be the occasion to display the goodness and mercy of God expressed in his presence despite the situation. Even the events of his life that are caused by his own sin and unfaithfulness. And and here's what's interesting. And what we need to remember is that's the very same for us. When we look over the landscape of our lives, we should be able to see that all the circumstances and all the events that happen were only the ground, were only the ground where God worked out goodness and mercy. Doesn't that sound a little Romans 8.20.80 to you? Romans 8.28, what's it saying? We know that for those who love God, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why does everything look good? Why does everything work for good for the believer? It works for good for the believer because God did the calling. And because God did the calling, he's going to be faithful to conform you and I to the image of his son. And it goes on to say that um, those God predestined, he also called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. So that's the, that's the ending point of that. And this is what David is celebrating. So he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow. Well, I want to say just a couple more things before I let you go. And the first is that word follow. When we think of follow in our minds, it most likely thinks that something trails behind us. You know, if a dog is following behind you, it's sort of like at a distance and it's following behind. This word in the Hebrew is a little bit more emphatic than that. And the word, I guess, would be best described as like pursues you. When is the last time you sat down and just got real quiet before the Lord and thought about where he took you, or where he's taken you, thought about where you are right now, and thought about in the future, only goodness and mercy will be pursuing you. Pursuing you. Man, does it almost make you a little uncomfortable? Like, no, no, God, don't do that. That's too much. If I could just like get to heaven one day, that'd be great. But this goodness and mercy, like that's too much to ask. No, 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 that is the point. The point is that God's presence pursues us throughout this life. And it's not because you and I did anything to deserve it. And it's not because you and I did anything to merit it. And it's not because we're special. And it's not because we have a certain amount of skills that God needed. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need human hands. But he chooses to display his glorious grace in you by showering you with the love of Jesus, which means the presence of the Holy Spirit, which means him actively working in your life right here, right now. And it also means that he will absolutely take you to where you're going. Remember, it's his glory that's on stake, at stake by you getting to the finish line. 
It's not your glory that's at stake by getting to the finish line because it's God who started the good work. It's God who's gonna finish the good work and it's God who's gonna get the glory when you get past the finish line. And that is why David can also say with confidence, not only does he say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of life, there's an and there. And that surely connects to the and. So you can read, surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see these two declarative confident statements from David. One, that if I'm alive, God is going to be with me through any of my circumstances. That causes confidence. So only goodness and mercy can come. But guess what? If I die, guess where I get to be? In the presence of God forever. Two statements of confidence, both born not from the confidence of the flesh, but confidence in who God is and confidence that when God makes a promise, he aims to keep it. So church, here's the question. In what ways in our life are we orienting ourselves around the very real presence of God in our lives? Are we consumed with the circumstances of today? Are we consumed with the circumstances of tomorrow? Are we overwhelmed and consumed by the circumstances of our past? Are we dwelling in those? Are we sitting in those? Are we letting those define us? Because I believe what God would have us to understand is that when we finally get our minds wrapped around the fact that he is for us, that he is for us, church, that he is for you, backslidden believer, that he is for you, new believer, that he is for you, believer, for 70 years. When that's the case, who can be against you? You have the presence of God. In what ways are you orienting your life and your actions around that truth? Let me just be honest with you. I don't always do great at it. I don't always do great at it. I've, I've let my past dictate f- lots of times in my life. I've let previous mistakes dictate. I've let worries about the future dictate and take my eyes off the goodness of God expressed in his presence daily. And I don't know about you, but I endeavor not to do better, because what does that do? I endeavor to remember what God has done and what God will do and what God promises to be for us. So my question is, and my final challenge is, will you tuck yourself into the bed of Psalm 23? Will you allow yourself to sometimes take a pause and just reflect on what God has done for you. And I think when you do that, you will see that even the dark parts of the story only serve as greater advocates of the light. I think we'll see that. And I think by the time you've looked through your life and you've looked over the landscape, you will be able to say confidently, surely, this goodness and this mercy of God It's going to follow me all the days of my life. And one thing further, I'm going to get what my heart really wants. One day, I'm going to be with God in his presence. That's the final thing. Our culture talks a lot about getting to heaven. That's the goal sometimes. We talk a lot about, oh, if I just get to a certain place, that's where I need to be. The Bible doesn't speak that way. David certainly doesn't speak that way. David wants to be where the Lord is. 
And that should be the echo of our heart as well. Not just to get to a certain location, not just get to the house of God because the house of God is good, but to get to the house of God because that's where God is. That's my desire and that's my prayer for us as a church that we would be committed to understanding and treasuring the presence of God now because that's the presence we're getting into. And we're not going to all of a sudden get to know him one day when we get there. The job is to get to know him now because he can be known. And that's an awesome promise. And that's something that we can tuck ourselves into when things aren't going well. And we can fall asleep peacefully, even when the trials of life rage all around us. Um, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Psalm 23. Thank you for the words of David that have so clearly encouraged generations upon generations of believers. Thank you, God, that it is your presence that we can be assured of in this life as believers. And Father, I pray for those here and those who are watching on the live stream who feel like that just can't be true of them, that there is no way, no how that you can love them that well that you would allow your presence to be in their life, actively working for their good. I pray, Father, that you would startle them by your goodness. You would chase them down through your goodness and your mercy and help them to understand, God, that it's your glory that's at stake. And when it's your glory that's at stake, you will fulfill it. God, you are a God that promises. You are a God that covenants. Thank you so much that you will never let yourself down. We pray, God, that you will encourage the church, you will encourage us to love you and trust you through any season of life because you are with us. We pray it in your name.